Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. But we've been going through this, this, this journey with this man named Joseph uh, from what I called his, his dream to his destiny. He had this dream. He's 17 years old. By the time he's 30, he's walk, walking it out. Uh, I told you last week, I said, the problem with many of us is not that we don't have a dream and not that God won't get us to our destiny, but the process in between is what's called development. And oftentimes that's the hardest part. It doesn't just go dream. Okay. Next step destiny. God wants me to get married. I'm married. God wants me to have this career. I have this career. God's called me to stand on a stage and share his word. The next, you know, the next time I have a church that's people actually want to listen to me. That's not that's not how it works. You go through development in your life. And so last week, I said the first step in development is being really good at making decisions. What was the decision he made? I'm not going to sleep with this woman uh, because I'm not destined to be here. I'm, I'm going to say no in this situation. It's why we still talk about Joseph today. I, I told you another element of development at the stage that I think is the most difficult is delays. How many of you in this room at Montgomeryville hate, hate waiting for anything? I mean, most of the time, the reason you're pissed off is because you're waiting on something. You're, you're mad at traffic. What? You're waiting. I, 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 I stink at waiting. Construction's going on. I, 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 don't, I, want, I don't like delays. I just want it to go on. My house, we're doing work at my house. I just want it to happen. I start working out. I want a six-pack the next week. I don't like delays. I don't like the process. I want fast results. I go to a restaurant. I want my food in 15 minutes. Anybody else? I start looking at my clock. I go, fast food? Don't even get me started on fast food. My food should be here within three minutes. It was frozen three minutes ago. Put it in the microwave and give it to me. What is taking so long? Everything in life about delays, I stink at. And here's the problem with, with, with that. Spiritually, God will put you in seasons of waiting. He will put you in seasons of delays. He won't often move as fast as you want him to. I don't know if you've noticed this about God. But very rarely does he do stuff on my timing. I ask him, he doesn't listen. I remember 2005, I wanted this in 2005 when we started Journey. This is what I thought it would look like. I wanted worship like this. I wanted, I wanted lights like this. I wanted it to look cool. I wanted, you know what I got? I got uh, nothing. I got, I got a, a rug from Ikea that was $178 that I could preach on as my stage props. A few years later, we got a few of those lanterns, you know what I'm talking about? And we would click them on, and that was our, our stage lighting. And, you know, I, I wanted this, but there was a season where God just wouldn't give it to me. He just wouldn't, he wouldn't move. I wanted people. He said, no, you'll preach to an empty room for years. Delays. I started thinking about uh, the pace at which God moves in, in our lives, and I started thinking about parenting. Now, my, my kids are out of the age of sitting in strollers, but do you remember do you remember years, if you have kids, you, you remember this season. It's beautiful, right? And the reason it's beautiful is because you hold all the control. You, you know, like when your kids are little 
and you have them in strollers and you pick them up and they are in strollers. And even when they get older and you go on in a wall walk or wherever, you're in the mall, you have them in strollers. It feels like it's a really hard season because they're really needy. And maybe when, remember when you first had a baby, all you do is every few hours you feed, then you change and you sleep, then you feed, then you change, then you sleep. And then they get older and they're, you know, just, they're just potty training. And it feels like a really difficult season until you get to having teenagers. People told me before I had teenagers, enjoy the process of having little kids, because when you have teenagers, just wait, right? And, and it, it's not that it's not fun, and it's not that it's not good. It's just a different type of fun. Anybody else have a teenager? It's a, it's a fun where you're going, this too shall pass, right? But when they're little, you're going, this too shall pass. But then when it passes, you're like, I want it back. And I remember I started thinking about that season of my life uh, when my two older boys uh, they were little enough to where they would sit in a stroller. Now, we had one of those double strollers, right? One in the front, one, one in the back, uh, but I threw that away because we were done having kids. And so I went online and got this stroller as a prop and an illustration from Amazon. It's the cheapest one I could find. And we used to put our kids in the stroller. You remember you would, you would take them and you would unstrap this and, and you would put their little chubby legs in and you would just strap them in, right? And, and, and when you're doing it, it feels, I can't do this, this is junk, and so just forget it. And so, <laughs> don't get this one. And so, it's a one-star review. And, and when you would strap them in, you would, you would go. And I remember, we used to go on walks, literally every night. That's what we did. We went on walks. We would get, we lived on Heckler Street, right over here in Phoenixville, and we, about seven blocks away through town was the park. And we would get on, we would strap them in, and we would walk, and we would get to Bridge Street, and on a, a, oftentimes at Bridge Street, instead of going straight to the park, we would take a right, and we would go to the fountain. Anybody live in Phoenixville? And we would take them to the pool, and we would, that's what they thought was the pool. And so, uh, and we would take them to the pool, and they would get out, and they would play in the fountain. And when they were done that, we would cross Bridge Street, and we would go to Artisan Cafe, which, which is no longer there, but it was for a time being, and I would get a cookie for them. We would split up in a cookie, and we would give them a cookie, and, and then we would get coffees. And me and my wife, it was almost like we were on a date. We would walk to the, to, the, to the park at a very slow pace, and they never complained because they had a cookie, and they were little kids, and they trusted us, and they know that 100 out of 100 times, when we said we were going to the park, where did we end up? The park. We didn't lie to them. That's not what parents do. Sometimes we would stop at the, at the, at the library. They would go in and play with the, the books and act, you know, just make a mess, and then we would eventually get to the park, and they would just be content with our pace. And this happened from probably two, three, four, five, six, seven years old. We would put them in, 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 in the, stro the strollers and we would walk them leisurely through town and go to the park. And we did this literally every night. They would get on the playground. They would do American Ninja Warrior. You guys remember that? And we literally, it was the best time of my life. I just didn't know it. Right? And then a few years into that, they got too big. Their legs got too fat and big and we would try to put them in the stroller and they would act like it was you know suffocating them and they no longer wanted to sit and they got in a hurry and so we made a mistake one Christmas and we purchased them razor scooters and they got too big to be in the stroller so we continued to walk because we had a third child and he was in a stroller still and we gave them Razor scooters, and they started riding the Razor scooters around. And what turned what was once fun and exciting, shoot, and 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 and, and, and enjoyable and a date—I shouldn't ride this thing, and so I got bad bounce—turned into stress. All of a sudden, the pace that we were going at 
was not good enough for them. And you know what started happening? We used to get to the, ro- the, the end of the road and there, were, you know, cars would be coming and we would look both ways and we would leisurely cross and we would be in control and they would just be sitting there eating their cookies and drooling and making a mess and asking for their juice just like kids. All of a sudden, they got the scooters and they're flying from road to road and they'll get to the end of the road right before the road where the sidewalk's at and they'll come to a screeching stop like this and cars, right? Freaking people out. They're riding on the sidewalk. People are walking towards them. They're little kids. They're riding right at them, right? I'm like, get out of the way. Stop. Car. Look both ways. Oh my gosh, we're going to die, right? And it wasn't long after that, we stopped walking. <laughs> we drove to the park. We moved. I was like, we're getting out of here. We're going to Kimberton. And, and, and I started thinking about this is oftentimes like God wants, God wants us to be here in our lives. And I entitled my message, you got to give God the space to set the pace in your life. I thought that was really good. I guess not. <laughs> but oftentimes, if you're in Montgomery over here, we don't want to be in the stroller because we're big boys. Right? I don't, I don't want God to control my pace. I don't care when he's going to, I don't care if he knows everything. I don't care if he's going to stop and get me a cookie along the way. I need to get where I need to get as fast as I can get. So what do we do? We get out ahead of God. We're riding. God's saying, stop. You're going to get hit by a car. It's called the wrong spouse. And you're going, no, no, I got it. God, catch up to me. You don't see what I see in them. God says, if you would just come back, I have a couple surprises for you. I'm going to take you to the pool. No, God, I don't got time for that. And you won't let God set the pace in your life. And here's the problem. When you want to be on a Razor scooter, I'm going to put this down before I die. When you want to be on a Razor scooter and you refuse to allow God to set the pace, mistakes often happen in your life. In fact, uh, I I read this week, uh, insurance companies, 92% of insurance companies, when there's insurance claims and places of work and places of business, 92% of the claims are as a result of people being in a hurry and not following instructions. 92%. 92%. Like, we, we get ourselves in trouble. In fact, I've said for years, God's will, without God's timing, guess what it leads to? Always leads to disaster in your life. It never leads to the blessing of God. It always leads to you having to clean it up. So give God the space in your life to set the pace. In fact, watch what it says in Psalms 27. I remain confident in this. I'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Watch what he says. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord. Psalms 33 says the same thing. I, I, we wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. Psalms 40. I waited patiently for, for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me up out of a slimy pit, out of mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. God knows how to get you where he wants to get you. He's given you exactly the amount of time that you need to have. He knows the exact doors that he needs to open and the exact doors that he needs to close. He has the right people that he wants to bring into your life. And here's some good news for you. He'll take the wrong people out of your life if you will let him set the pace of your race. Give him permission to set the pace because when you get out ahead of God, mistakes happen. And I want to show you this in scripture because the truth is Joseph, the hardest time of his life is the next part we're going to talk about, the hardest time. He gets lied about. You remember last, last week, somebody uh, that he worked for, the wife was pursuing him, pursuing him, pursuing him. He did the right thing. 
he took him to the wrong place. But I've told you before, if you do the right thing, you'll never end up in the wrong spot. That's how it works. It might even feel like the wrong spot, but just because it feels bad to you doesn't mean it's bad for you. And so, but he ends up going to prison. She accuses him of trying to rape her. His boss believes his wife, of course, and sends him to prison. Now, we know that he gets sold into slavery when he's 17, and he gets out of prison when he's 30, but we don't know how long this, this next portion of his life is. Most Jewish theologians, they break it down like this. He lived one year working for Potiphar, and then the next 12 years, he stays in prison. Think, think about that for a second. Some of you, you've been single for a couple months. You, you got overlooked at your job just a couple, couple months ago. Your marriage been bad for just a couple months. You had like seven good years of good marriage. And then, you know, the eighth year got you. And it's been bad for a couple months. You're ready to throw in a towel. It's bad. I've been waiting. I prayed and nothing happened. We went on a date. It didn't fix it. Went away on a weekend. Went to a marriage retreat. Read every marriage. And it's just not getting fixed. Some of your kid walked away from the Lord. You raised them up in church. And they've walked away. And you've been praying for them for a few months. And they haven't come back yet. And you're ready to give up. And he's here in this season for what most people say is about 12 years in prison. Here's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 40. It says sometime later, because the Bible wants us to know He's been here for a while. Gets to prison. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. Can I just give you a little side sermon, if I may? Sometimes in a season of delay, God is going to call, call you to attend to somebody else's dream. Like, we, we are awful at this, am I right? Like, I'll be happy for you if you're getting married as long as I know I'm getting married in a couple months. But don't ask me to spend seven, $750 on your wedding, right? Do I really need this dress I'm going to wear one time? And you're going to have to attend. Sometimes you're going to work for somebody that you feel overqualified. You feel better than you feel like you work harder. And you're going to have to work for their dream as God does the work in you to get you to your dream. And it's going to be how you handle that season of attending to somebody else's dream that gets you to your next season. Just a little side sermon. Let's come back to the delays. The Bible says he's called to attend to them. And after they had been some time together. So he wants us to know some time has passed. They get there. Some more time has passed. Each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. You remember what Joseph was good at? Interpreting dreams. He was a dreamer. They, they have a dream, the Bible says, and each of, them, ha, 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 each of them had the meaning of it. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were uh, dejected. So he asked the, the officials who were in custody with them in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? He says, we both had dreams, but we don't have anybody to interpret them. So then Joseph, I don't have time. This is not uh, that important to my sermon, but the Bible says Joseph goes on to interpret the dreams. But there's another little sermon in there. One of the guy's dreams was good. And the baker's dream was bad. The cupbearer was like, this is good. This dream here is what it is. And the baker, he's like, you're in trouble. And here's the thing about it. You know how good your integrity is when you have bad news to tell somebody that you know is true. And you, because you love them so much, still give them the bad news. As a Christian, don't we hate this? You're like, yeah, the Bible says everybody's going to go to hell. And you clearly don't know Christ. And the Bible says if your heart stops, you're going to go to hell. But I don't really want to tell you you're going to go to hell because that sounds judgmental right? 
I don't want to tell you that because that's, and you're like, you refuse to give him the truth. And the Bible says the truth will set you free. So Joseph has so much integrity. He's like, this is going to sting, but because I want good for your life, I don't know how the goodness is going to be. You need to know when you get out of here, you're probably going to die. So the exact thing happens. If you read verse 23 of, of Exodus 20 or verse 20, it says, now the third day was Pharaoh's birthday and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that once again, he could hold the cup from the Pharaoh's hand. And he impaled the chief baker. That, that means he killed him. Just as Joseph had said in his interpretation. Now watch what the Bible says. The chief cupbearer who told him, when I get out of here, I'm going to remember you. Watch what the Bible says. However, did not remember Joseph, he forgot him. He was there a long time. Then he was there a, lot, a long time more. Then when he thought he had met his way out, the guy that was supposed to get him out forgot him. And here's the problem. All these things, all these situations, all these moments, they start to pile on top of us. And if we're not careful, emotionally, we'll say, I'm done with the stroller Give me what I can control and we'll get out ahead of God. We'll begin to trust our feelings and not the truth of God's word. We'll begin to trust our heart. You ever have anybody tell you, just trust your heart. Your heart wants what your heart wants. That is the dumbest spiritual advice you could ever get. The Bible says your heart is deceitful above all things. You know what you do when you don't feel like doing the right thing? You, can I, can, you do the right thing anyways. Amen? Amen. Third service, come on. In Montgomeryville, when you don't feel like coming to church, and you don't feel like giving, and you don't feel like worshiping, and you had a bad week, and nothing went your way, and you know, somebody spilled your bowl of cereal, and nicked your car, and didn't give you what you want, and you're going, I don't want to do the right thing because God didn't show up in my week. You do the right thing anyways. He waited, and he waited, and then he waited some more. And I want to give you a few thoughts, a few things that are outside of your emotions that you shouldn't do in a waiting season. First one is this. Don't you dare overreact. How many in this room, honestly, you are an overreactor? Anybody married to an overreactor? Women? Men that get sick? You know what I'm talking about? My wife can get sick, birth a baby, all that stuff. She's cool. You give me one day of sickness, I'm dying. I literally, last week I told you when I drank that thing, I legitimately thought I was going to die. It was, it was bad. Like, I was like, I can't preach. Call an ambulance. Let me go there. Like, and, and, and she taught me, you're going to be fine. It's going to wear off. It's going to go back to normal. Your heart's going to stop fluttering. And, and it did. But I'm an overreactor. One time when I, was in, when I was a young kid, we went to Ocean City, Maryland when I was younger. And we stayed in a hotel. Didn't have an elevator. And it was only a few stories. But the hotel right beside us was bougie. It had an elevator. And me and my cousins, I was probably 11, he was nine, my brother's probably eight. We snuck out of our hotel and we went into this hotel and we got into their elevator and we began to ride this thing up and down. And this is where I figured out when the elevator stops, right before it stops, what are you supposed to do? Jump, right? You don't know that? Try it out sometime. That's how the wild people live. You jump and it kind of drops down and it's fun and we're going up and down. We're pushing the buttons. We're pushing the, the, the alarm. It's ringing. We're picking up the phone. We're prank calling 911. I mean, we're doing everything we could do. And the elevator finally got sick of us. And at one point, I remember it's going up and down. It was like, I'm done with you. And it just stopped. And this is the moment that I got saved for the very first time. 
me and my cousins were in all of the corners of the elevator and we are crying out to the blood of pleading the blood of Jesus over this elevator and I can tell you as a young 11 year old in my mind this thing was stuck for hours but in truth it was stuck for about 15 seconds it was basically like the elevator was catching its breath and saying okay let's go again but in my head, I was overreacting. And I got to tell you something. Some of you in these situations, you overreact. Your outlook in these situations determines the severity of the offense or situation that you're, fa you're facing. And overreaction magnifies all situations. Instead, when you get into a waiting season, you know what you should say? It's just a season. This would be like winter coming every year, and you'd be like, it's never going to be spring. Never? Is it never going to be spring or is it just a really long winter? Or it's, it's, you know, the fall is so hot right now. It's October and it's so hot and it's never, the weather is so hot and it's never going to change and fall is never going to come. Fall's never going to come. It's just, it's just, I'm just telling you, I do this all the time. Almost every Monday when I'm done preaching the sermon that I'm preaching, every Monday I get up and I go, I got to quit. I got to quit. I can't do this again. I can't sit in that office by myself for eight hours and try to figure out something that I'm supposed to say that is going to be coherent and make sense. How many rhymes can I make? <laughs> and almost every Monday, because I'm overreacting and I'm tired and I'm emotional, God, I can't do it. I'm going to quit. But guess what? By Thursday, I'm ready to go again because Monday's just a season. Some of you are overreacting. You want to give up. Think about Joseph. Don't you think he could have overreacted? I got thrown in prison, and I didn't even do anything, and then I got, I got left in prison because I did something, and he can overreact. I'm going to tell you right now, in your season, don't overreact. In fact, one person said, never cut a tree down in the wintertime. Never make a negative decision in the low time. Never make your most important decisions when you are in your worst moods. Wait, be patient. The storm always passes. The spring always comes. Don't overreact. N number two, don't overtalk. I, I think the number one thing that you would, you would think Joseph would do is every conversation and every relationship that he had would be influenced by his, uh, a, 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 um, his situation. I'm, I'm waiting. I've been forgotten. This isn't fair. Let me talk to you about what Potiphar's wife did to me. Let me talk to you about my, what my brothers did to me. Let me share all of my issues, all of my insecurities. Let me get on Facebook and start a page, right? A hashtag, help a brother out or something like that. Let me do a GoFundMe and pay out my, my thing. Let me do everything that I can to get myself. Let me get all the advice that I can get. You ever do that? Yeah, I'm going to get all the advice. I'm going to find a bunch of people to come share with me on what I should do. He didn't do any of that he didn't do any of that in fact i would say oftentimes that gets us in trouble one of my favorite bible characters is the story of job you ever read it and job was a blessed man in the in the in the in the old testament he had everything and one one day satan lets us see behind the curtain of a conversation between satan and god it's really interesting and satan comes to the throne of god and he says your your job the guy that is faithful and worships you the only reason he's the only reason he's faithful and worships you is because you bless him if you didn't bless him he wouldn't worship you faithfully. If you took away his stuff, you took away his family, if you allowed him to go through some, some, some pain, some delays, he would stop worshiping you. And so the Bible says God allowed Job to have his faith tested. It's really interesting. If you read the story, he has family die, he has kids die, he loses land, he loses livestock, he loses health. At one point he gets boils. But maybe the worst part of Job is that he has three friends that want to share with him why he's going with what he's going through. 
They weren't there when God said, I'm going to let you be tested. They weren't there at the end when God restored doubly everything that he had lost. That's the coolest part of Job. But what they, what they wanted to do is they wanted to give their reasons. They wanted to give their consent. Well, maybe this is happening because you have sin in your life. And maybe this is happening because you're going through this. And maybe this is happening because you didn't say this or you didn't go here or you didn't have this or that attitude. And maybe this is all going on. And this is what we want to do oftentimes. We over talk in situations like this. Because we think it's going to help. But I love what it says in in Lamentations 3. It says, the Lord is good to those who hope in him, the one who seeks him. Watch what it says in verse number 26. It is good to wait. Everybody tell me what it says. Quietly. Two of you. It, It is good to wait quietly, right, for the salvation of the Lord. I don't know if you ever noticed this. We don't do well with silence, do we? If I get silent right now, it gets real awkward. Start to hear all the sounds in the room. The lights are buzzing. If I'm at home and it's quiet, I got to start thinking about my life. And I want to put music on or I want to put the TV on or I want to numb something. This is what I'm talking about. And we want to just get away from the situation that we're in. And I'm just telling you, sometimes you're supposed to just sit quietly and wait on the Lord. And other times when you do find the need to talk, you know who you should talk to? The Lord. It's real simple. Watch what it says in 1 Peter 5. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Why does he say that? What you don't cast, you carry, and what you carry often becomes big and scary. You're going to cast everything on God. One pastor said, he said, the more you praise, the less you'll panic. The more you worship, the less you'll worry. If you want to talk, bring it to the one who can do something about it, but don't over, over talk. Let me give you, let me give you two, two more. This, this, one, this one's really important. Don't feel overlooked. If, if I was Joseph and I watched the cupbearer march himself out and the baker march himself out and who knows whoever else march himself out and then I pictured in my head my brothers living their life and enjoying their wives and having their kids and meanwhile I'm in jail and I'm waiting and it's been years, maybe seven, eight, nine years. What are you starting to feel if you're, if you're a person? You're starting to feel overlooked. And feeling overlooked is the exact opposite spiritually of what God has called you to be. The Bible says you're an overcomer. The Bible says greater is he that lives in you than he that lives in the world. The Bible says no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Do you ever read all these? The Bible says that you're the head, not the tail. That's what it says, that you're, you're not created to be led around by people, by their opinions. You're created to be led around by the Spirit of God. But that, that's who you are. You're more than a conqueror. You're victorious in Christ. But if we're not careful, emotionally, we'll start to feel overlooked. We'll we'll, we'll start to, through every filter that we see, it's not fair, God. This person got out ahead of me, and this person, they don't care like I care, and they, they they don't even want that. But you brought them what I wanted, and you didn't bring me what I asked for, and they don't even want it. You ever been there? I I want a kid. They don't even want kids. I want to work. They don't even like working. All they do is complain, and you just keep giving them raises. They don't work like I do. I work hard, and they barely work. And God, you keep opening up doors. They don't even like their spouse. I'm praying, believing, fasting, right, for a spouse. And they got one, and they call me, and all they do is complain about their spouse. And God, I just want that. And all of a sudden, you start to feel overlooked. People are passing you by. And here's the problem. If you're not careful, you'll take your eyes off of your own journey, right? Your own pace, and you'll put it on somebody else's, and you'll forget that God has a specific, detailed plan for my life. 
and he's given me the exact amount of time that I need to accomplish what he's called me to accomplish, and it is outside of what other people are doing. Doesn't matter what they're doing. They can't even get in the way of stopping it. The only person who can stop it is me. Don't feel overlooked. And I, I can tell you in ministry, in my 20 years of doing it, there's been so many times in my life where I've made the mistake of giving the devil that access in my life where I'm frustrated because I feel overlooked. When I was 22 years old, my very first job, I was a children's pastor. It was the same thing. You know how you don't know this is fun until it's over? Being a children's pastor, you don't realize how fun it is until you're done with it. There's zero uh, expectation. Your expectation is make sure the kids laugh and have a good time. I was like, this is, like, looking back, I'm like, I gave them, I gave them Mountain Dew. I, I, I fed them popcorn. I used to slip them extra candy. Like, like we, we, we had fart con noise contests where their parents didn't, what'd you, talk, what'd you study today? Uh, Jesus, right? And like, we, like, they, they trusted me with their kids. Like, you don't know me very well, but that's not a good decision. We had a good time. We used to play dodgeball during church, and some of the kids, you know, some of the kids, you like all of them, but some of them, you they get on your nerves, and I'd just be drilling kids, and oh, you know, face shot, it counts, right? And like, just having a good time. And uh, there was a youth pastor there. He was 40. And so when, I, when you're 22, 40 is extremely old. Now that I'm 42, that's the new 20, right? But when I was 22, I was like, all of them, every staff member was 40, 40 and above. So I came in, I was threatening to these old, old guys. Like I, I came in with energy, ideas, you know, I had my head in the clouds, like I was ready to go. So we didn't have a good relationship and he was the youth pastor. And uh, his kids were in youth group. He had been the youth pastor for about seven years at the church. Nobody knew it at the time, but he was already making plans to transition. His kids were now in high school and he only had a few years left with them and then he was gonna stop being a pastor and he was gonna go on to his next career. So. He, uh, at one point, he came to me and he said, hey, I think it'd be cool if you would do junior high as well. We're going to break the youth group up, which I, I'm, you know, I'm 22 and I'm like, that's, that's, yeah, that sounds like a good opportunity. I don't know. He's breaking it up. So he sits in the office and he tells my pastor, he says, hey, uh, Steve, and we, we talked, which we didn't ever talk. He just told me. And he was like, me and him decided he wants to do junior high youth group. So I started doing the math in my head. I'm like, I'm doing babies to, to, to 11 and then 12, 13 and 14-year-olds, and you're doing 15, 16, 17, and 18-year-olds. Now, as a 22-year-old, I'm not that smart, but that doesn't seem fair. Are you with me? We're doing the same, getting paid the same, like, we're at the same job, same career. I'm doing all this. But he's like, no, you're going to do it. So uh, about, about two years into being a children's pastor, I started doing junior high ministry, and uh, we started from nothing. And God blessed it. Like, he, we, we, I was excited. Like, kids, we were doing all these events, and kids were coming. And the thing grew from a, just a few kids to on a, a Wednesday, we'd have, like, 75 kids show up. Just, just come, and, you know, they were crazy and wild. We're leading worship. We're, we're going to amusement parks. We're, we're doing all sorts of stuff. Like, it was just telling kids about Jesus. I'm teaching kids how to mow. They don't have dads. Like, it was just this whole, this whole good season. It was like my baby. I was more excited about junior high than I was about kids. And I, then I started going... You know, maybe I said transition. So then the, the youth pastor started say, telling the church, I'm about to be done and I'm going to move on. And in that season, I came to the pastor and I said, hey, you know, he's going to be done. And I've been doing this. I feel like I want to do youth ministry and not kids anymore. Could I do that? Right. It makes sense. And he was like, yeah, well, think about it. So I have my hopes up and I'm building and I'm building. And I'm putting my energy in and I'm thinking my time with the kids is done. You ever been there? And I'm super excited. And, and, and then I find out behind my back that the pastor's son, who didn't work at the church, needed a job, 
and the board had voted to bring him on to be the full-time youth pastor. So I came one day, and I didn't know this. I'm like, hey, what did you, you think, about the, think about me doing the youth? And he was like, oh, yeah, we voted last night, and my son's going to go come be the youth pastor. And I was so mad that day. Overlooked. What do you mean? And the worst part, it got worse. He got there, and he observed for the first couple of months. And uh, he would go to high school ministry, and then he would come to junior high ministry. And he was a smart guy, and he observed the high school ministry was running out of steam because the youth pastor was transitioning out for a few, for a few you know, years and wasn't really paying attention. And so it was dwindling, but we were giving all of our effort that we could to this junior high ministry, and it was growing. And all of a sudden, he realized, I have a small ministry, and you have a healthy ministry. And so then one day in a staff meeting, pastor said, hey, I talked with Chad, my son, and, and just so you know, uh, next month, we're going to transition the whole youth group back together. And I said, what about me? He said, you go back to kids and you can be Chad's assistant. I still remember. It was almost hard for me to say. He said, and you can be Chad's assistant. And I was, I was going to quit, go work at Chick-fil-A. It was my baby. Now, my stopping ground was not Oklahoma, Edmond, Oklahoma. My next step was Bechtelsville, Pennsylvania. It doesn't sound like an upgrade, but it was. And the future was this, not Chubby Bunny. But in that moment, I got a, I was so mad and so overlooked that in my head, I was like, I can't take it anymore. You over, you over, overreact. You, you feel overlooked. And the last thing you do is you overwork. And I remember uh, the, the thought of overworking. I'm like, what do I got to do? What do I got to do to get out of here? What do I got to do? What do I got to find? I started looking for jobs. I started applying. I got to get something else. I got to find something else. I can't keep doing this until one day I felt the Lord say, stop. Get yourself back in the stroller. Strap your chubby legs back in and let me set the pace. And for another six months, I went back to kids. I, I, I taught my kids in junior high when he let me. <laughs> I gave my best effort that I can give and as God set the pace one day my phone rang and it was my dad and we had talked about ministry before and he said hey what do you think about coming home and starting a young adult ministry and building something there and uh, the Lord got to guide me to Pennsylvania right 21 hours and then we started and then I didn't really know what was going on. And then a few years later, he guided me to the building in Limerick and gave us a free building, which, which then we started, really started Journey Church. And then a few years later, he took the stroller and he guided us to the opportunity at the Colonial Theater. You see where I'm going? And I started, I stopped working and I just started saying to God, God, you do it. And then a few years later, he opened up door, Plymouth Meeting, and then Royersford, and then Montgomeryville. And then he closed them all down. Opportunity to close them all down. Get your breath. <laughs> And then he opened it back up and at his pace he started building the church and I'm just telling you you have to give God permission to set the pace in your life you get out ahead of him and you'll destroy it so here's what I want you to do wherever you're at wherever you're at if you're in if you're in a season where it feels like you've been placed in a situation that you don't want to be in anymore change the way you think go from a buried mindset to a planted mindset buried means death right so he can look and say, I'm buried in prison and I'm dying. Or he can say, I've been planted in prison. And if you're planted in prison, you're planted for growth. Amen? When you, when you take a seed, some of you are farmers or vegetable garden people or whatever. I'm not, right? It's 2022. I go to the store to get it. But some of you, 
you find joy in it, right? So you have a little box in your house or whatever, a big old thing, and you're gonna, in a couple weeks, you're gonna till it up, you're gonna fill it with organic soil or whatever you're gonna do, and you're gonna take a seed, a fledgling seed. You're not gonna get a plant because that's cheating. You're like a real farmer, right? And you're gonna put it in the ground, and you're not gonna come back the next day and be like, I failed. When you plant it in the ground, you know there's a process and it will bring a harvest, right? But it has to go in the ground first. Joseph was planted in prison. He wasn't buried. He, he wasn't buried. And here's what I read this week in my, in my Joseph reading plan. And it said, remember, the longer that you have to wait, W-A-A-I-T, the greater the wait, W-E-I-G-H-T, the blessing that God wants to bring to your life is. Write it down. The longer the wait, the greater the wait. The long, I'm not going to overwork. I'm not going to overtalk. I'm not going to over, overreact. I'm not going to feel overlooked. I'm going to wait on the Lord. Surely I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Get yourself back in the stroller. Amen. Let's stand to our feet all over our campuses. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Let the Lord set the pace. Let the Lord set the pace. I want to read you one more verse with everybody's head bowed and eyes closed as we close this, this, this time out together. It's a good one. It's one of those coffee cup ones. You know what I'm talking about? You have it on a coffee cup somewhere. But Isaiah chapter 40, what does it say? But those who hope, the other word for hope is wait. But those who wait, but those who hope, however you want to say it, in the Lord, what do they do? They'll renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagle. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. You know what the cool thing about that is? You think about the eagle. An eagle was born with wings too heavy for its body. And somewhere along the way, for them to soar, like eagles were, were designed to soar, they have to wait on what, what scientists call wind thermals. They wait on a wind thermal, and when the conditions are right, they open up their big wings and they soar. But they learned very early on that the conditions are about waiting. I'm gonna wait for the right condition. So listen, if God has you in a waiting period, he's just giving you a chance to catch your breath, build your strength, and get prepared for his next best step in your life. I'm going to wait on God. I'm going to let him set the pace. I'm not frustrated. I'm not overlooked. God's just doing something in my life. And the longer that he has me waiting, the greater the weight he's going to bring to my life, the greater the opportunity. Maybe you're here right now, and man, you don't know that that understanding of God, you don't have that relationship with God where you even understand that you can actually trust him, and you can actually follow him, and you can actually have a relationship with him. That comes through knowing Jesus Christ. See, religion says, here's how you know God. You clean yourself up, friend. You act right. You wear the right clothes. You say the right things. You go to the right church. You read the right translation of the Bible. Of course, it's King James Version. And if you do all these things, thus stay at the Lord, he'll bring you back. That's religion. I work my way to God. Some of you saw religion at its finest this week when people were walking around with dirt on their head. That's religion. I don't know you. I don't go to church all year. But I know this Wednesday I'm supposed to get ashes on my head. And I know here I'm supposed to give something up. What are you going to give up? I don't know. Chocolate. Dark chocolate. It's gross anyways. And it's, it's just religion. It's not impressive to God. It doesn't earn his attention. In fact, it makes us farther away. So a relationship with God is about Jesus Christ. The Bible says while we were still sinners that Christ came and died for us. 
Like Jesus does everything in his power to get to us. And our job is not to work back to God. Our job is to put our faith in Jesus, to receive him as our Lord and Savior. And it's here that you begin to develop a relationship of trust and of joy and of peace, of hope. A belief in a God that can restore and put things back together. A God that continues to, to mold you into the person that you're supposed to be. Me and you, we're just a work in progress. We're not perfect. And there's not a level that I'm going to get to where God says, okay, now I like you. God took me at my worst. He doesn't leave me that way. He walks with me on my good days. He carries me on my bad days. He picks me up when I fail. He's faithful when I'm faithless. That's who he is, and he's here, and he wants a relationship with you. I want that to set in. Listen to me with every head bowed and eyes closed. You're not a mistake. You're not an accident. You're not insignificant. You're not forgotten. You're not overlooked. You're not a waste. You're not too broken. You're not too far gone. You are one yes away from everything changing in your life. One yes. Yes to Jesus. Yes to a relationship with him. The Bible says if you would confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. It's as simple as that. Montgomeryville, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. So I'm going to ask you a question. And the question is simple. You need Jesus. You want a relationship with your father. You want to understand purpose and meaning. You need hope. Call on Jesus right now. And if I've been describing you, if it feels like I'm talking to you, if it feels like somebody is knocking at the very door of your heart, that's Jesus. He wants in. Your only job in this moment is to say yes. So come on, if you're in this place and you need to say yes to Jesus Christ, you're in Montgomeryville, you need to say yes to Jesus Christ without worrying about the person to your right or left, but knowing that who you are, what you need, believing in who God is, feeling the presence of the almighty God in this place. You would say, hey, that's me. I want a relationship with Jesus Christ. Without any shame, any fear, and any doubt all over this place, if that's you, would you just shoot your hand straight towards heaven and say, hey, that's me. I see a hand right here. Is there anybody else? Hand, hand, hand. Yeah, hand. Yes, yes, yes. Is there anybody else who would say, that's me? Hey, that's me. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life right now. I need him to come in. I need him to save me. I need him to set me free. As you raise your hand all over this place, that's the first step. The next step is in your own words. I'm going to pray. Maybe you've never prayed before. God sees your heart. He knows what you need. And right now, all you're going to say is, Jesus, I don't want to live life anymore without you. Would you come into my life? And when you do that, in faith, he's going to come and he's going to begin to do what only he could do. Come on, let's do it all over this place. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for this day. And we thank you for all that you've done here today. We thank you for those that right now, maybe for the very first time, they're in church, they, they're desperate, they need a change, they need hope, they need grace. But right now they believe that that's found in you, Jesus Christ. They believe in the work that you did on that cross 2,000 years ago. It's the finished work of Christ. Now we don't work our way back to God. We receive the free gift of salvation through the work of Jesus Christ. We're healed, we're whole. We're forgiven. We're filled with purpose. We have a reason to wake up tomorrow. Jesus, we're a brand new person in you. That's what the Bible says. We're a brand new creation. Behold, the old is dead and gone, and a new day has come. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for all that you've done. Lord, when we get in this week, and we feel overlooked, and we feel in a hurry, and we feel stressed, let us remember the illustration of the stroller. Let us put our, put, position ourselves back in your care and let us be okay with allowing you to set the pace in our race. You're good. 
you've given us exactly the right amount of time that we need to do what you've called us to do. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that we can rest in you. Thank you that we can wait on you. You're a good God. In Jesus' name that we pray. Hey, one more time, Jerry. Let's shout amen together. Let's clap together one more time. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you.